Hi everyone and welcome to the first part of our tax talk on international tax with our very own uh, James Karanja. Uh, welcome to this session James. Thank you very much. It's yeah. great to be here. Thank you. Um, before we proceed, allow me to say a few words about your experience for our audience. Um, James has vast regional and international experience working on tax matters, including issues relating to tax transparency under the Global Forum on Transparency and the OECD G20-based erosion and profit shifting project, where he successfully led Africa's inputs. Um, he has also managed various civil society projects in Africa, right, such as the Africa Initiative that's geared towards promoting awareness and adoption of global standards aimed towards mitigation of harmful tax practices in Africa, which we will also get to probe him a bit more on this. Uh, James is also the immediate former head of the Secretariat of the OECD UNDP Tax Inspectors Without Borders, an, inno an innovative global capacity building project aimed at building transfer pricing capacity um, in developing countries. He has also served as head of international tax office at the Kenya Revenue Authority. Um, so yes, welcome James, welcome again. Thank you. Great, so um, let's kick off with our first question. Um, it is clear that um, illicit financial flows and harmful tax avoidance continues to have a significant impact on the development of African countries because it really affects revenue mobilization. Um, in your experience, what would you say is the set of circumstances that are contributing to this sudden burst of, you know, well, not so sudden, <laughs> burst of illicit financial flows and harmful tax uh, practices in Africa? Okay, thank you for that question. I think the first point to raise is that illicit yeah. financial flow as a topic is very broad. It includes a whole yeah. host of issues, yeah. money laundering, and, and other uh, related uh, typologies of uh, financial crime. Mm -hmm. However, I think for this particular session, yeah. focusing on uh, harmful tax avoidance, mm -hmm. I think I would say one of the critical uh, issues has been around lack of a coherent, multilateral uh, discussion mm -hmm. or framework around which uh, cross-border taxation issues could be addressed. For the longest time, uh, this yeah. has been a challenge, yeah. uh, and Africa has not has experienced with all the globalization, uh, the global supply chains uh, becoming uh, very focused on the multinational enterprises coming yeah. into Africa and exploiting the loopholes between uh, countries' tax regimes, exploiting the tax mm -hmm. treaty network in a way that wasn't intended to actually avoid payment of tax in Africa. So it's a huge business, huge investments into Africa, but very little in the way of tax because of all the gaps mm -hmm. uh, in, in, in the international tax regime, yeah. which have certainly created a challenge that Africa is not being able to fully benefit uh, economically from uh, the companies that are operating within Africa. So clearly huge challenges for, mm -hmm. uh, for Africa, but certainly also opportunities yeah. there once uh, some of these issues can be resolved. Yeah, and I mean, speaking, speaking about some of these challenges, really, then the key question is then, what initiatives are being taken up at the continental level to curb illicit financial flows and harmful tax avoidance? Yeah, so sadly, there isn't um, much in the way of the African-led processes. 
I think a, a, a most well-known mm. initiative is probably the, the Tabombeki high-level panel on illicit financial flows, um, which is an AU uh, UNECA-led initiative, which um, has been largely around you know, discussions, mm -hmm. building political understanding around these issues. Uh, but at a technical level, uh, I think we have the Africa Tax Administration Forum, mm -hmm. not a policy body, but doing a lot of technical uh, capacity building for tax administrations, helping them with legislation. And then uh, obviously with the support of uh, other development partners, and pro programs such as the Tax Inspectors Without Borders uh, project that we're running that helps countries on mm -hmm. uh, building audit capacity on transfer yeah. pricing. So I think from an Africa-led perspective, clearly the there is a lot of uh, gaps, uh, perhaps so I would say lip service from uh, such frameworks as the Agenda 2063, which says very little. Uh, on how to address these issues. Um, and the AU Commission itself, with its own secretariat limitations on the ability or the capacity to uh, develop uh, frameworks for Africa, much in the same way as OECD would develop uh, those frameworks say, for their member countries. Um, so what does that mean? It, it has led Africa now to have to be uh, following other pr uh, processes of the OECD, uh, the BEPS inclusive framework, the Global Forum on Transparency that is uh, seeking to address some of those issues. Obviously, uh, with those limitations, uh, that you know something that you do not lead mm -hmm. um, always has those challenges about how much you mm -hmm. can input. Yeah, and it's, it's amazing that, 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 you know, there's a lot of work going on at the global level, right. which then turns my attention to now the OECD inclusive framework yeah. on base erosion and profit shifting. Yeah. And so um, could you give our viewers a backdrop or rather a background behind why? Why is there this deep desire by many countries to, you know, institute reform at the international tax level um, and did this happen before or, or what, what set of circumstances led to um, this you know deep driving and motivating uh, motivated desire to institute reforms at the international tax level yeah so obviously the last uh, 14 15 years have mm -hmm. been uh, a watershed period in the international tax reform uh, prior to which, uh, I think for over 100 years, the, the conversations have been ongoing that the international tax system is broken. Uh, but I think what happened, the watershed moment is actually in 2008 with the global financial crisis. Um, and the big discussions then around government having to, to bail out uh, corporate organizations that were too, they say, too big to fail. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, clearly that led to also some public uh, backlash that if if we are going to be supporting corporates, uh, they're too big to fail. A lot of people went into foreclosure, for instance, mm -hmm. uh, at an individual level, but the corporates were allowed to continue uh, even on the back of, of uh, other taxpayers. So the, the, the question then became, so what, what role uh, suddenly are corporates playing also in paying their fair share of tax? And these issues were clearly also buttressed by uh, a lot of information leaks mm. from the tax havens uh, around the practices or the malpractices of these 
uh, mm -hmm. corporate entities in, in sheltering their incomes from, from taxation. And, and so I think it, it really became at a time when the G20 was established to reform international institutions, that then the political moment came that these issues now could be addressed. So what we've witnessed in the last, as I say, 14 to 15 years is, is quite um, intense mm -hmm. uh, push on issues such as bank secrecy, uh, enhance uh, tax transparency of financial information on beneficial ownership, on on measures to to address specific challenges within the tax system that um, uh, multinational enterprises have exploited, so as not to pay tax in any jurisdiction. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, and thanks for that, James. And so, on the back of that, really, then, given the extensive reform. And, and, and extensive deliberations mm. that are happening mm. at the international tax level, then the next question is really, um, what role are African states playing, right? Mm. And if, if, uh, if there's a role that they are playing, are there any hindrances mm. that you know, affect mm. their full and effective participation in these deliberations? Yeah, so African countries, as I say first, would be faced with the fact that they're not... Uh, they're not key players in these discussions, mm -hmm. uh, largely because they, they got brought into this process fairly late. I think these were G20-led processes and the OECD countries, uh, some of which uh, African countries joined fairly lately in the process. Mm -hmm. And also you have a huge challenge that this issue sometimes have um, a, they're bound with a lot of complexity of which many African countries are not, uh, didn't find themselves able or competent enough to participate. So you would have people sitting around the table mm -hmm. representing their countries, but with very little to say. So we had a lot of uh, African joyriders, as it were, mm -hmm. in, in these discussions. But uh, what... What I really appreciated is that when, with a lot of preparation, a lot of deliberation, is that African countries did actually get to to lead uh, input into the, the BEPS process, uh, not just supporting African positions, but supporting developing countries' positions. Mm -hmm. uh, they are today um, on the steering group of the BEPS inclusive framework, and um, their membership there obviously has ensured that some of the things we see focused mm -hmm. on supporting or mitigating impacts for developing countries, that these issues are now um, sort of at the forefront. Mm -hmm. There's some friend who, who once said that if you if you are not uh, seated at the table, you are part of the menu. Uh, so that that push, I think, for African countries to to be seated at the table, uh, where now they would be able to defend their own. Yeah. Uh, interest. Yeah, uh, amazing. So, if I may, if I may, um, kind of segue now on the back of that, um, you know, extensive deliberation. So, no doubt, you know, multiple action action uh, point reports. Mm -hmm. You know, um, domestic model rules mm -hmm. that are to be incorporated domestically by you know, mm -hmm. um, um, members of the inclusive framework. Mm -hmm. Now, on the back of all these changes in the law and, you know, um, a lot of compliance obligations. Mm -hmm. um, in your opinion, how can businesses in Africa um, address the ever-growing compliance obligations? And similarly, 
tax administrations as well to kind of you know build their capacity and you know be able to keep abreast with all the new um, changes in the law that that is taking place yeah so like you say rightly the 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 sort of changes have been there have been uh, quite difficult to keep up with yeah. uh, even from a practitioner level if you were a person uh, specializing tax treaties and those are the changes you are focusing on then you lost complete track of everything else that's going on in the other areas of the BEPS action plan if you're on the pillars now there's quite a lot that's been mm -hmm. happening and it's very difficult I think um, to keep up uh, clearly there's there's need for a lot of um, awareness building there's need for greater sensitization I think um, for before this, this all these developments can sort of settle. It's it's really important that businesses invest uh, in getting to better understand what's what has happened and also to be able to readapt or change their their practices in their business setups in line with uh, to be able to correspond or to comply with the new regime. So professional assistance will certainly be at the at the core um, of, of, of businesses being able to comply. And we're, we're privileged, I think, from the perspective uh, and our experience, mm -hmm. uh, both from the policy making side, the tax administration now into business, that at Anjurwal and Kana, we, we have that privilege and opportunity mm -hmm. to assist uh, clients to be able to better navigate uh, the sort of uh, challenges or complexities that come with all these changes yeah. because of our African footprint, our ability to, you know, advise business across uh, really. Uh, and also, um, we obviously have operations in in, uh, in the UAE as well. So that, I think it, it really lends, it's important to have a, 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 a professional mm -hmm. uh, advisor who can offer you quite uh, some yeah. support in this area. Yeah, and 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 about how, in essence, transfer pricing is really a big issue mm -hmm. that affects, I mean, um, um, related party transactions. Mm -hmm. So as we as we now go into the issue of transfer pricing, mm -hmm. and 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 all the changes that are happening in that space, could you please give our viewers a brief overview of what transfer pricing is, and why is it so important? Yeah, so transfer pricing, excuse me, is important from a, um, a country perspective. Why? Because first, within the global context, is that businesses uh, are now being conducted uh, largely between related uh, enterprises. Huge, uh, the supply chain globally is uh, seems to be over fifty percent. They mm. say is between related uh, enterprises. Huge uh, business are now running across multiple jurisdictions. And so the issue of whether a business is able to decide where to report its profits uh, clearly uh, has an impact mm -hmm. uh, on how you price, for instance, your goods, how you price service intergroup services, how you price intergroup loans, and um, such other transactions as, uh, for instance, the payments for, for intellectual use of intellectual property. So this become critical that any tax administration wants to see that those transactions have been conducted at an arm's length. What that therefore means is that every business um, that meets those requirements must, of necessity, pre prepare transfer pricing documentation to 
evidence that the transactions they've done have, are at arm's length. Mm -hmm. And then if I may jump on, on the arm's length uh, principle that you've mm -hmm. just uh, mentioned, we're, we're continuing to see that the arm's length principle is being expanded, right, to cover, you know, not just transactions within the same state or, mm -hmm. you know, transactions with preferential tax regimes, but also in certain instances extended to, you know, transactions between unrelated parties. Mm. So um, with, with this continuous evolution of the application of the arm's length principle, right. then what is your opinion on how businesses have been reacting to it and, you know, and whether this is really tenable? Yeah, so I think we must understand yeah. uh, first from the, from the side of uh, tax administration why a policy like this would be important is that oftentimes uh, transactions between a business and entities in a preferential regime, it's that much more difficult for these uh, tax administrations to access information to determine, one, whether these entities are related for purposes of transfer pricing, and even once you establish the relationship, whether you then have access Mm -hmm. to information about those transactions. So the, this policy obviously is first uh, to say that if you undertake transactions with a uh, business in a preferential regime, mm -hmm. that it is um, immaterial mm -hmm. whether you are related or not. Carried do not need to prove that, uh, that, but that you then the onus is on you to prove that the transactions with that entity in the in the preferential regime are at arm's length. Obviously, that also has implications if that is domestic because you also have preferential regimes locally, whether it's the special economic zones, the export processing zones, that it's possible to shift your profit between uh, a business that is doing, uh, mm -hmm. that is conducting its operations within uh, sort of the, the domestic setup. And then you have another one within the special regime and that you can shift your profits over to the to that entity that has no uh, does no not have tax liability so clearly certain structural issues there that they are saying they would like to ensure that they safeguard revenue but for businesses what does that mean it just means um, for those that fall within certain with those uh, requirements to then do what is required of them and just mm. ensure that they've met uh, the obligations to document such transactions. Yeah. All right. Thanks. Thanks so much, James. Um, that brings us to the end of part one of this tax talk. Um, stay tuned for part two. Thank you.